Welcome to the Bond Brain. And now, without further ado, here's your host, Bud West. Welcome back to the Bond Brain for uh, an episode about another sport or game that that we see Bond play in the films. Now, we only see him play this one time, but I thought it was definitely something that was worth talking about and worth mentioning, and that is the film on Her Majesty's Secret Service, We See Bond Undertake Curling. Now, whenever I talk about games or activities that we see in the Bond films that I don't really have a deep knowledge of, I like to bring people in that have some knowledge of that themselves. And luckily for us within the Bond community here, we have a man who knows curling. So please welcome to the Bond Brain, Mr. Matt Spencer of the Tropical Bond. Hey, bud. How are you? Good, man. Really good. Now, I know it sounds odd, folks, for the Tropical Bond to be talking curling, but that's not your only Instagram page, is it? That That's true. Yes. My, my personal page is the curling 007. So I also did think it was kind of kind of strange when I was, you know, going back and thinking about it. Like, yeah, I know curling, but I have this tropical page and, you know, ice and tropical don't really go together unless it's in a drink. So <laughs> it goes in the drinks. Exactly. So let's talk curling because you, you're not only a fan of this, you actually do this. Correct. Yes. Uh, I started curling back in 2014. So I'm a member of the Potomac Curling Club in Maryland, just uh, outside the D.C. area. And yeah, I mean, there's many clubs all over the country, but but that one is the one that I uh, currently belong to. And so you said 2014. And what what really drew you into the sport? Well, what was interesting was growing up, you know, I always saw it on the Olympics and stuff like that and really had no idea what was going on. I'm sure like a lot of people who watch it. But when I found out, you know, I got a little older and I found out that there was a club nearby. Went down there for an open house. It was it was 2014. Um, it was an Olympic year, so they had all these open houses. That's you know when they when they do a lot of that kind of stuff. Went, got to learn how to sweep. Got to learn how to throw a rock through one rock, and from that one rock, I was hooked. So yeah, I mean that was that's pretty much what started it. And then obviously when you're there and you're you're interacting with people, you're playing in leagues and you're seeing the professional curling on the TV at the club and everything like that. You know, it just took off from there. It's never it's never been uh, a game that I really came across, like you said, years ago. It's, I mean, 2014, that's eight years ago, but that's not a whole lot of, that's not a long time ago. And, you know, one of the things I was reading recently was that, you know, overall viewership of the Olympics has actually started to decline. And yet this game, curling, overall viewership has risen. Yeah. And um, I think there's a couple of things that attributes to that. One, I think USA Curling has done a great job of getting getting the word out there that there are local clubs. Because like I said before, until I did a little bit of research, I had no idea it was a local thing. You know, I thought it was just one of these Olympic sports that, you know, some people get into, you know, in the colder areas of the world. And and that was it. But come to find out, you know, we have clubs all the way down in Florida, you know, warmer locations like that. So um, I think USA Curling does a good job. Um, they're kind of the governing body over on this side of the pond. World Curling Federation does a great job getting the word out too. And they're the, they're the overall governing body. And then... I also think the, at least over here in, in the U.S., um, in 2018, when our men's team actually won the gold medal at the Olympics, you know, this huge underdog story, um, I think that had a huge impact on on membership. And I can just say, at least for our local club, that was a huge factor because people were watching it. You know, they, they love the underdog story. Who doesn't love an underdog story? Right. Um, so that, that really attributed to, I think, a lot of the growth and popularity of it. Then, you know, local not local, national uh, broadcasts like NBC, they have their curling nights in America and stuff like that now. So I really, really think the growth of the sport 
is is multi multi factored there. Yeah, I mean, so. twenty years ago, I I could have told you what it was, but I really. <laughs> I, I don't think I had ever actually seen it, like pictures, maybe an article, the occasional sure. article in Sports Illustrated, but that was about it. But recently, you know, e- even, you know, like I'll walk in the room and my wife is one who will watch the Olympics. I don't really watch a whole lot of it, but she will watch curling. And I just, you know, it's at that point I started to take, you know, a, a bigger notice of it. Now, at your club, obviously you're a grown man, you're an adult, but it, are there kids doing it? Oh, yes. We have, you know, what are called little rockers, little kids. Um, it's kind of funny because they're they're out on the ice there and they're, they're in their helmets and everything like that. Um, <laughs> you know, we have like the middle rockers, which are a little bit older and junior curlers. Uh, we actually had junior curlers going to nationals um, all the way up to adult curlers going to nationals. So, yeah, this is something for the whole family. And it's if it's something that, you know, obviously you think, you know, you want to stick with for a while. Um, wouldn't be a bad idea to get kids involved early, just like any sport, because, you know, the more you do it, I mean, the better you get you, at it. Yeah, so. that's how you grow any game, right? That, you got exactly. to get people, you got to get people hooked young. You got to get a lot of them. And hopefully, you know, as, as we get older, all sports weed out and people, people right. eventually drop off. And hopefully what you're left with is, you know, people that can compete at a national level at a world level. Exactly. Uh, and you're just outside of DC, you're saying? Our club, yeah, it's in it's in Laurel, Maryland, okay, which is you know not too far outside of DC. Actually, my my state of Maryland, we have we have two clubs. We have one, uh, my club, Potomac, and then we also have Chesapeake Curling Club, which is actually on the eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay, um, of all places. But there's there's plenty of clubs all over the country. Yeah, I'd like to watch sometimes. I actually get down to that area quite a bit uh, now. Uh, our our son moved to Arlington, Virginia. Okay. So we get down to the D.C. area a lot. I'd love to come like watch it. But tell us about curling. I mean, you don't have to go okay. into all the details of the rules, but how is the game really played? Or how is okay, the sport well, really let me, undertaken? Let me start back with a little bit of the history of it. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah. So it it's a Scottish it's of Scottish origin. You know, the early 16th century is is when they believe because when they drained a pond in Scotland years ago, they actually found a curling stone in there. Um, it's not what we look like. Not not a curling stone like we look today. Um, you know, these nice polished stones with these nice handles that are all electronic, perfectly and balanced. On and yeah. um, but there was a date on it, and it was 1511. Um, so that kind of gives you a sense of how long people have been playing this game. Um, they like to say it's something that the Scots got to do in the winter time when they couldn't go golfing. So. Um, so 1511, we have, a, have the earliest stone, but the first written reference to curling is actually from February 1541. And it's, uh, it's in a poem and, and it just goes on from there. There's, there's paintings from the 1560s that reference curling and it just grew from there. It also has a, a different nickname. You know, I don't know, um, how much any of the listeners or you have heard, but when you're watching a, when you're watching a match on TV, you can, you hear that the, when they throw the rock, you hear that noise, the rock gliding down the ice. So the nickname for curling is the roaring game as the stones roar down the ice. Oh, okay. Now with its, uh, Olympic debut, it was a demo, uh, demonstration sport in the Olympics in 1932, 1988 and 1992. Um, but it didn't become an official Olympic sport until 1998. So oh, really? when we do see, you know, Bond throwing that stone down the ice in Her Majesty's Service, it's not an Olympic <laughs> sport yet. Okay. And then wheelchair curling entered the Paralympics in 2006. So really recently. Nice. Um, so the the rocks all come from pretty much one quarry. It's called Elsa Craig in in Scotland. So all the rocks all over the world. You know, you see them on the Olympics all the way down to my little local club here in Maryland. Clubs in Australia or wherever you're playing. They all come from this one quarry, so they're all made of the same stuff. Wow. So now 
The rocks weigh about 44 pounds, you know, give or take how old they are, you know, how much, how brand new they are, how much they've been used and stuff like that. Right. Um, but, but around 44 pounds. So they're not the lightest thing. You're not picking up and throwing these rocks, you know, they're definitely heavier than a bowling ball. So you really do have to like slide them along the ice. Now the, the ice, the, the, the rink or whatever you want to call it, it's called a sheet. The thing with the rings on it that you see, see the curlers playing. The, That's the target. Right. Correct. So that's 150 feet long, and then it's about 15 to 16 feet wide. And then from the center of the target on one end of the ice to the center of the target on the other end of the ice is 114 feet. Now, why is it these weird feet measurements? It's because everything's done in meters, and that's just okay. how it translates in, in feet over here um, right. for us. Now, those rings, the, the target that you mentioned, that's called the house. So you have three rings. The widest ring is 12 foot. It's a 12-foot um, diameter ring. Then you have one in from that is an eight foot diameter ring. Then you have one in from that, which is a four foot diameter ring. And then you have a one foot circle in the middle, and that's called the button. Now, right in the middle of that button is a little pinhole. And that's what you're ultimately aiming for with your stones. The, the scoring for curling is interesting because it's not the, the rings don't count for different points. Like your outer ring's not one point and all the way in the middle is five points. It's nothing it's like really that. It's really just who gets the closest, correct? Correct. It's whoever gets closest to the center of that, to that all the way to that little pinpoint on top of that or in the middle of that one foot circle. Right. That one foot circle has a name. The one foot circle is called the button. So in any conversations or you hear anything, people talking, you know, wherever you hear someone say, oh, that's on the button or you got that on the button. Okay. It's actually a curling term. Right. Um, it comes from the game. You're aiming for that, that pinhole. Now, the amount of points that a team scores is how many of their rocks, their team's rocks are closer to that pinhole before their opponent's closest rock. So a lot of stones are colored either red or yellow, depending on the team. If red has two rocks closer to the center before the closest yellow one, red would get two points for that end. Um, and how many are you? How like, many? How many stones are you throwing? Each team throws eight stones. Oh, so eight. there's sixteen stones per end. And wow. like I was saying, an end is kind of like an inning in baseball. So that's when you throw all the rocks one way. That's one end. So once you're done throwing sixteen rocks one direction, that's one end. Okay. Now you would play back. Obviously, you come back the other side. Same right. thing. You're throwing the rocks back the other way. That would be the second end. And in, in international play, like the Olympics and people see, they usually play 10 ends. Okay. That's kind of how scoring works. And there's strategies involved. A lot of people like to call curling chess on ice because you're not always aiming for the center with every throw. There's there's different kinds of shots you can you can make. Um, take out shots, draw shots. Take out shots or throwing your rock pretty hard down the ice, hitting an opponent's rock, knocking oh. it out. Uh, nothing okay. out of play, so it can't score. Now you also you have your draw shots, which which are shots that you throw that you want to end in a in a particular spot, and that's where the name of the game actually comes from, curling. So when you throw the rock, you can't throw the rock perfectly straight down the ice. The rock you spin the rock either clockwise or counterclockwise, and by doing that, the rock is going to naturally turn down the sheet, going one direction or the other. Oh, okay, almost like bowling. To- Correct. Correct. It's kind of like putting a spin on a bowling ball. Now it's going to curl. And that's where the term curling comes from. And the reason it does this is, is how the ice is actually made. The ice isn't completely flat and smooth like hockey ice would be where they come out with the Zamboni, you know, in (laughs) periods and they make it perfectly flat. So what, what curling ice is, it's giant flat sheet of ice. And then they, they take this giant razor blade, they shave off the top layer to make it, you know, super smooth. Then they take this backpack looking thing with kind of like a shower head that comes out front of you, kind of like right. a little nozzle. And that backpack purified water in it. And that water is about 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And they sprinkle this water on that perfectly smooth sheet of ice. 
And what that water does is it hits the ice and then it freezes in a little tiny pebble. And then what they do is they take another giant razor blade and they shave off just the very tip of each one of those pebbles to make each top of those pebbles flat. And by doing that, that creates little air gaps between the original flat sheet of ice and the top of those pebble of the pebbling. Okay. And that's what the really small one or two millimeter band on the bottom of the rock that's actually touching the ice. That's what that little band actually grabs onto. So the whole rock isn't touching the ice underneath. It's kind of shaped like a donut where it kind of has a hole in the middle and it curves around that hole underneath. And there's a small little band that actually touches the ice. Because if you were to take a curling stone on hockey ice, freshly Zambonied hockey ice, you threw the rock and you put a spin on it, it would just go straight even with the spin being put on it. Yeah, there's no resistance. Correct. So by putting the air gaps in between the the pebbling, it creates the friction on the bottom of this rock. And that's what the rock grabs on to curl either left or right. So you can position it down the other end on the rings inside the house. Now, this is where we get the, the questions, well, why, why are we sweeping? Well, what sweeping does, is it keeps the rock traveling along the path that it's on longer. So what they do, okay. so what sweeping does is as it's traveling down the ice and say you put a clockwise spin on that rock, but it's, it's spinning too quickly. It's moving too quickly to the, the clockwise side of the sheet. So your, your sweepers out in front of the rock, they'll be sweeping with their brooms. They are called brooms. They'll be sweeping in front of the rock, and it kind of creates a uh, more or less a path of least resistance for the rock. So okay. they're kind of guiding it, kind of you know driving the rock one way or the other, which would straighten that rock out and make it travel farther down the sheet before it starts to hook and curl to the clockwise side. Okay, so they're trying to read the spin or at least follow the directions of and right. then clear the path. You want, I guess you want that curve to happen at certain points. That's right. So exactly. So if you're, if you're throwing a rock down the sheet and you're trying to hit someone else's rock, but your rock is curling too hard, it's, it's, it's spinning one way too hard. You need to sweep in front of it to kind of drag that out. So the rock ends up, you know, doing what you want it to do, which in that case would be hitting the rock that you're aiming for. That's kind of where the sweeping comes in. It's a lot of physics and, and stuff I don't completely understand. I'm not a scientist. I just <laughs> you like didn't do all the, the math game. on this, man. <laughs> exactly. I just like playing the game. I'm good with that. But let me break down the team for you. So a team has four players. That's that's a curling team. Usually a team also has an alternate if they're going into big competitions. That way, if someone gets hurt, someone gets that's sick, because sure, we had yeah. a lot of that with, with COVID and players having to drop out. So you always have an alternate. So the four positions on the team, you have a lead, you have a second, you have a third, which is also called a vice skip. Then you have your skip. And your skip is kind of like your team captain. So a lot of times in, in professional play, especially in Canada and, and places like that, the team is kind of named after the skip. So their last name would be Team you know, West. The skip is your team captain. He's the guy that's standing down, he or she, is the person standing down the other end of the ice. And they're the ones that kind of come up with the strategy for the game. They're the ones calling the shots of where players want it. They're the ones that are doing all the all the brain work for the most part. So your lead comes up and your lead is the person who throws the first rock. Your team's lead throws one and then the other team's lead throws one. And then your team's lead throws number two. Their lead team throws rock number two. Then it goes to your seconds and you alternate all the way through. Now, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, your skip is going to be throwing the last two rocks for your team. So they're kind of setting up the end of the, the end with all the rocks down the other end to set up their shots. So they can oh, end up scoring. Right. But everyone has to throw. Everyone has to throw two rocks. Really right? interesting. I always thought there was like, you know, certain people swept and certain people threw and. Right. Nope. So everyone throws and everyone, with the exception of the skip, who 
doesn't sweep because he's down the other okay. end calling the shots. So right. when you hear all the screaming and yelling, that's usually the skip down the other end telling his sweepers to sweep or not to sweep. Okay. Um, so you, a lot of times you hear them yell hard um, or yes or go or something like that. That's usually an indication that they want their sweepers to sweep. Um, if they say off, no, stop, that would be stop sweeping because, you know, either the rock's doing where they want, they're going where they want it to go, doing what they want it to do, or, you know, they've already, they made their moves with, with the rocks that they needed to by sweeping. Um, right. So each player throws two rocks to set up your skip at the end who throws two rocks, again, alternating with the other team's skip. And then you might have heard the term hammer, and you might have seen the little hammer logo on your TV. And the hammer is the last rock of each end. Because naturally, you would think a team that has the advantage if they get to throw the final rock of the end. The final because, rock, right. <laughs> right, because <laughs> like no, one, no one gets start. to go after yeah. them. So that rock is called the hammer. Now, when you start a game, you normally coin flip, and the coin flip determines who gets the hammer for the first end. But what happens is the hammer flips from team to team depending on who scored the previous end. So if my team scored on the previous end, then your team would get the hammer, the last rock of the next end. Oh, the opposite team. Okay. Correct. So if you score, the hammer goes to the other team. That way it's, you know, it balances out the, you got points. Well, it makes the game more competitive. Yeah, it Correct. makes perfect exactly. sense. Exactly. That's the yeah. idea of it. Theoretically, when you're watching curling, the team that has the hammer is going to want to try and be setting up their end to score at least two points. Because if you think about it, they kind of already have one point by having that hammer. Because they should theoretically be able to set the end up to where that last one, they're going to be the closest one to the front or to the to the button, to the to the button, to right. the center. If you got to hold a team to one point and they had the hammer, that kind of is a win, even though you did give up a point. It's kind of a win for you because now you get the hammer back and they only got one point. And they scored the minimum. And what's a what's a typical score at uh, the end really of a, at, at the end of an entire match? What is the usual score? It really depends. I mean, a lot of times I mean, theoretically it could be like seven it could be. five. It could be like seven five. There there are games that are okay. you know teams are scoring over ten. Teams that are scoring under five because if no one scores on an end, so like say say there's only one rock in the house left, and then the team that has hammer is coming up. That team's going to want to try and take out that other team's solo rock in the house and have okay. that hammer rock also roll out of the ring. That way it's a <laughs> zero zero for that right. end because that team gets to keep the hammer. And they get to try again on the next end to set up, you know, okay. a score of at least two, if that makes sense. Okay. I mean, usually every, I mean, theoretically, yeah, soccer, you're, you're you know, it's one nothing, two one. Right. Exactly. It, it could be 15 to zero, but it, it, it know, could a typical, be. A typical score. So every, every game usually has a score that it's, especially at that level um, where, where people are so skilled, you know, they're, they're, they're playing in the Olympics that. You know, right. So score next ranges. time you watch the the Olympic um, or even national competitions like on NBC's Curling Night in America and all that, kind of take note of that. That's a little bit of you know, I mean, that was kind of inside baseball there, but take note of kind of the strategy there because you see you see teams that it's called blanking an end when no team scores. It's all part of the strategy, setting it up to where they have hammer maybe in the even ends. That way they have the last rock. You know, theoretically, if they alternate all the way through the game with the hammer, they would have the last rock in the last end if they need it. Um, or something like that. So, oh yeah, um, sure. I mean, if you're getting down in those final two ends and you have a lead, what do you care if you throw up two blanks? You know, that's a, that's a little bit of the inside inside part of the game there. But it's all stuff that you can pick up while while watching the watching the game on TV. Now, what I will say is it's it's kind of interesting with what they were doing in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, kind of turning this back to Bond. Because if you look at it, 
all the girls are lined up there with their brooms and Bond throws the the one rock, you know, very ungracefully down. Yeah, falls down. Down the right. ice, exactly. <laughs> and you saw this like bowling pin kind of looking thing. They don't use that anymore because now they have all the colored rings down the other end for the house. Okay. okay. But, you know, in that time period and before, they would use that to mark the center. So that was like kind of the aiming point was that pin or that T. Uh, um, almost like horseshoes. Yeah. Correct. Because it was so hard to see because what they would do back then is they would just etch circles into the ice. They wouldn't have these different colored paints or anything like that or vinyl right. rings under the ice. They would just etch a circle. So that was kind of a, an aiming point for people. And before we got all scientific with it, with the with the sweeping and everything, with these synthetic brooms and all this kind of stuff they use now, they actually use corn brooms. And the point of the corn brooms and the, the original point of sweeping was to actually clear debris out of the way. Because they were playing, you know, outside on ponds and lakes and frozen oh, streams sure. and everything. Rain, so sweeping drizzle. is yeah. right. Sweeping was actually to sweep things out of the way, as opposed to the physics that it is. Yeah, steering the stone that it is these days. Do have one last question? All right, when nobody's okay. looking, I gotta know. Do you ever run down, slide on your stomach, and pretend you're shooting a machine gun? Because I'm pretty sure I would do that. I have a, I have a couple things with that. One, no, I've never done it. But <laughs> two. I have thought about it every time I go out on the ice. <laughs> it's just the, the ice is, is so, uh, you know, well taken care of that I don't yeah, want to mess it yeah, up. No. But there, that is not to say that I haven't fallen on the ice on my stomach or my butt or anything like that, you know, countless times while playing because everyone has to do that at least once. So, but yes, I would love everyone to do goes that. goes down, right. Excellent. Yeah, if you have anything else you think is relevant. No, other than uh, I think... Uh, I think our first bond there, uh, Sir Sean, would love it because we're talking a Scottish game. I know it's not Scottish golf, game. but, you know, when, it is Scottish. When does it begin to spread to the rest of the world, do you know? In the about the eighteen mid-1800s, it starts to spread. Canada really took off with it. Okay. Um, we like to call it a Scottish sport that the Canadians perfected. The Canadians are kind of that powerhouse nowadays. Okay. As far as professional curling. Um, they haven't had as much Olympic success in recent uh, years, but um, they have had in the past. You know, the amount of teams that are up there, it's it's like Little League Baseball up there. You know, they have they have curling teams everywhere in Canada. So it's definitely very popular there. I mean, it, it, it and like you were saying earlier, it's it's growing everywhere. Um, it's definitely growing here in the States, growing all over the world now. Yeah, I mean, 20 years ago, growing up, watching a lot of sports, you, you didn't really get an opportunity, to, at least television-wise, right. to, to view curling. And, and even when, you know, TV changed and... You know, we got stations like ESPN and the Deuce and and these sports only stations came along. Curling really didn't get a whole lot of a whole lot of viewing. But, you know, no, 10 years, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, you're hard. Pre- if you're flipping through channels at some point during the year, multiple times during the year, you're going to come across it. Yes. And, and like you were saying, just a few years ago, you know, the only time you would see curling on TV would be on that ESPN, the Ocho day when they would play all the right. weird sports on, on TV. <laughs> But now, you know, it's it's becoming so mainstream. They even have, you know, coming up soon. I mean, the, the professional um, season just started. So, you know, they're starting to record all their episodes that they're going to put on for Curling Night in America. And, you know, when the Canadian men's and women's national tournaments come on, you know, in the new year, you know, those will be on ESPN. You probably have to find them on the streaming side of it, not on the actual broadcast. But they're definitely on right. there. And it's it's kind of neat to uh, to see how how well it's grown. Um, even in the short few years that, that I've been into the game. I love it, and it's awesome. And the best part is, win or lose, you have fun playing. 
that's that's the biggest draw for me anyway. Yeah, you want to win the game, but when you're playing in your Friday night league and you're having fun, you have a few drinks and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's the best part of the game, being out there with other other fans of the game and 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 playing, you know, on a nice Friday night. Oh yeah, sure, no matter no matter what the game. That's that's once you reach, you know, adulthood, it's a it's a it's back to almost what it was like when you were a kid. It's a camaraderie thing. Yep. Um, yeah, you, and, you don't you don't quite get uh, so worked up if you if you win or lose, but you know it, it's really definitely more the social aspect. And you know, I always tell people, you know, when they move to a new area, moving, I, you know, they their job transfers, they move to a new area. Find something, find find a car club, find a sport, find a game, find something because that's where you're going to meet people. It's why I go to cigar lounges. Cigar lounges are, are more social than bars. You know, it's why I've played sports my whole life, soccer, baseball, softball, ice hockey, curling. I haven't tried, but now you kind of got me intrigued. Hey, we can get you out on the ice. It's no problem. <laughs> what I will say to that though, to the social aspect of it is it's kind of nice after the, the game is over and you come off the ice and you go into, you know, look, we're really clever. We call our game curling because the rocks curl. We call our brooms brooms because we're sweeping. We call the room that you come in when you get off the ice, we call it the warm room because it's warm, or at least it's warmer (laughs) than the ice. So when you come off the ice and you go into the warm room, you sit with the team you just played and you do what's called broom stacking. You stack your brooms in the corner, you come over and you just talk about the game, you talk about this, you talk about that. And the best part is the winning team buys the losing team the first round. Well, that's fair. So even if you lose, you win. Right. (laughs) That is excellent. Well, Matt... Thanks for coming on and uh, going into this because really I totally did not know 99% of what you uh, spilled out here. And I uh, haven't seen you in a while, man, so let me know. You want to get together, we got to find some time. Man. That's right. we got to have a got to have a sit down with a stick sometime. Yeah, that's it. So, all right. Thanks to Matt Spencer, the Tropical Mon on Instagram, the Curling007 on Instagram, and also a guy who likes cigars. So, um, and <laughs> that's definitely for sure. <laughs> and he, he belongs to a great lounge. I've been out to Matt's lounge, very cool lounge out in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. So, uh, thanks for coming on here, man, and uh, filling us all in. And this is Bud West with the Bond Brain, and the Bond Brain will return. <laughs>